Amen. All right, here's a little pro tip for you. I don't know if you've ever noticed, you probably have. That last slide on every song will have the name of the song on it. It's a license issue, but it's also a little hack for Christians that want to listen to that music through the week. I don't know what your streaming service is. There's lots of them out there. But if you find that little title, you can go Google that name of that song and be listening to that through the week. I never am put together enough to give to Eduardo and Kelsey like what I'm going to be preaching. They're just on their toes. But the Holy Spirit often will, will knit together the concepts that I'm talking about with the songs that we sing. And, you know, let's not pretend. You're not going to listen to the sermon again. But you may listen to the songs again. And I hope that you will. And if you do, that they're not just, you know, like, um, what does K-Love say? Positive, encouraging, K-Love, or whatever it is. You know, like, I... I don't want this to just be positive and encouraging. That's just like I was around people with a generally good mood, and <laughs> I feel like I have a generally good mood now. That's not what we're talking about. These songs have gospel content, and I need to hear those songs. I need, I need those songs, and I want you uh, to avail yourself of just phenomenal stuff that's there all the time. All right, my name's Ben, one of the pastors here. Today we're going to be in 1 John, 1 John. So if you have a copy of the Bible, open it up. Turn your way there, tap your way there to 1 John. We're going to start in chapter 1, kind of where we started last time. Uh, finish, you know, start where we finished last time and work our way through this letter from John to a series of churches where he gives a lot of good, uh, a lot of good stuff for people that need confidence. And again, it's not confidence for like, you know, public speaking or confidence for like dating. It's confidence in something eternal or something essential. And some of the stuff that he deals with, like last week we talked about, you may lose confidence because you don't really know what the basis of your belief is. Why do you think this happened? Why do you think this is true? What's your basis for that? Well, if you can dig into that and find that that basis is a solid basis, that foundation can take a beating, then you start to gain confidence. Well, today he starts talking about the next issue that's, that's a pretty immediate one for anybody that engages with Christianity, and it's the concept of sin. Yeah, yeah, it's the concept of, of disobedience towards God and how that affects your relationship with him, how that affects your understanding of your relationship with him. See, sin is a big deal, and it becomes a reason that many people reject Christianity. And if you ever go into, like, blogs, I don't know that that's a word anymore, but, like, if you ever interact with sort of the community of people commenting on Christianity, they may throw out things like, well, I can't be a Christian because uh, we as Christians are so off-putting. Famous line from Gandhi, like, I like you, Christ. My problem is you're Christians. Now, I got a lot of things I want to say back to Gandhi for that. Little guy, bald guy, I don't know what he thinks he, never mind. But <laughs> there's a famous sort of sentiment. Man, I'm really great, and Jesus is really great. I just have a problem with all these sinners in the way, these Christians. Well, I don't know. That's not really a, a bad critique. I mean, a, a lot of us Christians are off-putting. So I, I get that. You have other people that'll say like, man, the Christians, I, I would like to, to maybe understand more about the hope of the gospel, but, but the, the community around Christ is very off-putting because everybody there pretends they're not sinners. You know, everybody there walks around with starch collars as though they've never sinned and they, they look down on me. 
Maybe they're excited that I come to their church, but I'm definitely somebody who's like starting a race they've already won somehow. Well, ooh, that kind of hypocrisy is certainly off-putting. I I don't want anything to do with that. Hope Church tries to undermine that at every uh, way that we can, but... There's a third reason that I think sin is involved in people rejecting Christianity. And it's not just sort of flagrant sin from Christians that's off-putting. And it's not just flagrant hypocrisy from Christians that's off-putting. It's also the fact that everybody, everybody evaluating Christianity and everybody in Christianity, all all of humanity according to uh, Christianity, is born in sin. So sin affects your ability to even think objectively about the things that we're talking about. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's not like some big theological proof statement, but it's a poetic restatement of what Christians have always believed, what the people of God have always thought, which is that there's a fundamental break between us and God. So you start the race, like you're born with the symptoms in full effect. It's like being addicted to a, a, a destructive substance. A poison. If you were addicted to that poison, that poison's destruction would would stop, would would mess with, would alter all of your abilities to to perceive, to make good decisions going forward. Like a, a poison is dulling to, you know, its destructive power. You hear that about mosquitoes. Like the first thing they do when they land is they they numb the area before they like dig in and start drinking. Like poison has that effect. Sin certainly has that effect where it dulls you to its presence before it gets to work in its destruction. And a lot of us don't really realize it's there. Like a good poison, like you think about old stories or whatever, medieval times, and they like drop some poison into somebody's cup before the taster gets it or whatever, and then they drink it and, you know, like a good poison, you wouldn't be able to see or tell. You know, when the wicked witch poisons the apple, it doesn't become this like black apple with green little smoke things coming off of it. It looks like the best apple you've ever seen. You don't know that the poison's there. Well, that's a good poison. A great poison would be one that was so seductive that the person seeks it out. That's actually, I think, a better picture of what humanity is like, where people who have so imbibed, so so, um, participated, that we seek it out. So when you're calling somebody to, to think about Christ and to consider walking away from sin, they may consider walking away from things that we agree is sin, but, but no, 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 sin goes way deeper than that. You're calling somebody to die. That's what Jesus says when he talks about somebody having to take up their cross to follow him. You're calling somebody to walk away from what has been their bread and wine. You're calling somebody to walk away from what has been their, their highest good. The philosophers talk about the summum bonum, like the, the best thing in their world. You're asking them to say, that's not my best thing anymore. Something else might be. Man, this is a, a big deal. And sin, it's, it's everywhere and it's entangling. It pulls us away from God. It entices us, but it also changes us. It, it, it makes our affections, our, our understandings different. It, it affects who you are, what what the Bible would call your heart. So then you come to Christ. Maybe you agree with that assessment. You agree with what we talked about with who Jesus is, and you say, okay, yes, 
So then you come to Christ and you go get baptized and it's amazing and everybody high fives you and you, you start this new walk and then immediately you see that, man, even as a Christian, you're still, you're still sinning. Like it's still present in your life. So, so what do we do with sin? Can we, can we stop sin? Can Christians still sin? And, and, and if sin is everywhere corrupting everything that's like alive and true, then, then how do we fight against it? How do we work against it personally? How do we work against it institutionally, like culturally? What do we do with sin? How, how does a Christian live with unshakable confidence while sin is still so, so present? So let's read. 1 John 1, let's start in verse 5, work our way down about halfway, well, six verses into chapter 2. So 1 John 1, starting in verse 5, says, This is the message we have heard from him, meaning from Jesus, from God, this one that they saw and touched. If you remember last week, John's talking about how the apostles were with Jesus, and he's saying that this is the message that we've heard from Jesus and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. Now just watch this. John will often say the same thing both ways. He says, if we say we have fellowship in him while we walk in darkness, we lie positively and do not practice the truth negatively. He's saying the same thing two times, but Get into that mode as you're reading John. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. We say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful, and he's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the one to memorize First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. All right, a lot there. Dense. But beautiful in parts. Like there's some stuff in here we want to understand a little bit better, especially as we're going to understand who the God is that he's describing. You know, when he says that he has seen God, when he's interacted with God, heard God, seen God, touched God. Remember, that's the first part of John. He talks about the one that we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have held with our hands and known. This Jesus, then they start describing him. John starts describing who Jesus is. Because you say God, well, there's a thousand, thousand religions, and they all have a different concept of who God is. And that first principle about who God is, is determinative. It, it tells you what that religion is then going to be or flow out into. When, God, when John says God, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about one who is the life, as we heard so much last week, but also what he says in verse 5. This is the message you heard and proclaimed to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Okay, well, 
What does that mean? Do we worship light bulbs? Like, do we always want to keep lights on? Is God literally just light, or is that a way of describing God? Well, I I think it's the latter. I think it's a way of describing God, and it's telling us something about him, surely. It's telling us what light does. Well, it makes things possible. Like, you you can see when there's light, and when you take out the light, you can't. You know, predator can see by um, uh, heat signatures. You know what I'm talking about? No? I think you do. All right? You just want to pretend like you don't. Like, no, that was like in the 80s, man. I don't think I saw that movie. It was awesome. I think you saw it. And when the predator is hunting people, he's using, like, heat signatures. He's not using regular light, and he's also invisible. Well, it doesn't seem like he can see very well. Every time it goes to the, like, heat thing, you're like, there's no way he could, like, snipe that guy. It doesn't work that well. What works way better is just light, just turning on lights and looking around with eyes that can see. When you have light and your eyes work, they communicate information to your brain about what's around in great detail. Light means that you can have knowledge. Light brings all kinds of things into possibility. And he says in in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So now there's a contrast here. He's not just talking about how God is light. He's talking about how it's possible to somehow walk away from God. He he says in 1 John 1, 3 and 4 that he's writing so that we can know God and have fellowship with God. But here he's talking about something, darkness, that can break that fellowship. That can stop you from having complete joy. There's something that's, that's wrong here. And if God is light and we walk in darkness, it's clear from the passage what he's talking about there is not just shutting your eyes or turning off the lights. He's talking about walking away from God's law or God's way of doing things, denying what God says in the light and choosing to make things in a different way, which may sound like you're bringing in color or a different version of light, but no, there's only two options. Now, when we say that, we're, we're talking about sin. And at Hope Church, we're, we're sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Sometimes you think sin and you think about crazy stuff, you know, dateline stuff, triple homicide stuff. But sin is like a lot of stuff. Really nice people can be really desperate sinners because when the Bible talks about sin, it's not just talking about a code of morality. It's talking about an orientation towards the one who is the light. See, that light is a a person. It's not a code. Christianity is not the Ten Commandments. Those tell you about God, but they're not God. Like Moses threw down those stones and God made new ones, but it wasn't like he threw down God when he did that. God was the writer of the Ten Commandments and that they were that people might come to understand the first commandment, which is to, to worship God and him alone. What is worship? It's not this. This is part of it, but what we're talking about when we talk about worship is we talk about an orientation of yourself in love towards the one who is the light. Okay, well, if that's the case, then then I can sin anytime I'm not in love with him, anytime I'm doing something that's not for him. And then the examples become constant. So, okay, okay. If we take a second to process that, we can't say that we have fellowship with him while we're in sin because then you're walking in 
darkness, and you can't have darkness and light at the same time. I don't know if you've noticed that. Like you can have a light room that doesn't have darkness in it because it's a light room. You can create darkness in a light room, but you do that by, by creating a spot where the light isn't. You have to somehow put like a, you know, fancy dinners. They have the closure, whatever, the dome. Ooh, I've never seen it in life, but I've seen it on TV. You know, closure, whatever. Like you could put a cloche down on a table and presumably inside that is darkness. But the only way you got it was by shutting out the light. You can't have light and darkness at the same time. They're opposites. Not really opposites. Darkness isn't even a thing. It's the absence of light. So if you can't have those and sin is, is darkness, then how do we stand before God? This is where the, the light of God goes from being a light that's like a flashlight to a light that's more like sunlight. Jesus, who is God, doesn't just bring light, but like we talked about last week, he also brings life. He says in verse 7 and 8, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, we definitely have sin, but if we walk with Jesus, though we have darkness, he, he cleanses us from that darkness. He can somehow bring that light into us without destroying us. He, he becomes something different. Now, now, when we talk about light, you can think about it in two different ways. In my kitchen, we have two different lights. We have the fluorescent lights. They're fluorescent. They're like kind of up in the ceiling. It's really frustrating. For some reason, they drop the ceiling down. And so when I walk around, sometimes people ask me if I'm going to hit my head because well, they're just nervous for me. And I appreciate that. But the, for some reason, they dropped it down. And when they dropped it down, they put in like office fluorescent lights. Now, I don't know that I, I would have chosen that as our light structure. It's kind of a bright kind of whitish light. But when you turn those things on, like they do provide information, like you're able to operate in the kitchen with that light on and more safety. You can use a knife safely. You can tell a potato from an apple. Like the lights are good, those fluorescent lights in the kitchen. But we also have a different light that's in there. We've killed every plant we've ever tried to have. And you people sometimes hear me say something like that, and then you bring me like a succulent, and they're like, hey, death proof, man. You can't mess this up. And we're like, thank you. And then we just throw it away because we know we would kill that plant too. We'd not, we're not able to do it. Sorry. It's just not in our makeup. Other skill sets, not that one. But I bought a thing that you just buy online and it's this little tub and you put these little pods in it that they preset. Again, they don't let you touch anything. So they preset the pod and you drop the pod in and you put water in the side and it's got light. It's got this little lamp on top of it. And again, it's automated. They, don't, they know that you can't be involved or the plants will die. So when you plug it in, you plug it in at 7 in the morning so that it'll come on at 7 in the morning and it'll go. It goes for, I don't know, 15, 16 hours and then it shuts off at night. And over time, that lamp with the water, life, the plant starts to grow. Right now on our windowsill, we've got these beautiful, they're called wild strawberry plants. I don't think the strawberries will be like good to eat, but the, the plant itself is lovely. And it's growing. And the lamp comes with these extenders so that you can put a little arm on the side and break the lamp, go higher and higher because you have to because the plants are starting to grow up. That light is not like the kitchen light. It doesn't just bring information. That light brings life. Like the plant's able to grow and become green and become more complex and become fruitful. Do you understand when, when God is involved, he doesn't just bring the light of knowledge of good and evil. That would be damning. 
because we're evil. You turn on the light, all you can do is see better how corrupt we've become. But he doesn't just come to bring the knowledge of our evil and the good that he is. He also comes and brings life. That's, that's what Jesus did. He, you know, when you look at what he says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Listen, the truth is not in us. There's some perfectionism movements that are out there where they say they've like achieved the level of sinlessness. I don't know, man, what do you do with John 8? Like, give me something. I don't understand how you can say that. And I feel like if we knew you well, or if we put your wife on a lie detector, like we would get quickly into something we might consider less than perfect. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, if we say we have no sin, listen, you're deceiving yourself. The truth's not even in you. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we haven't sinned, we're making him a liar. (laughs) It's not even just, are you a sinner or not? He said you're a sinner. So if you say you're not, well, what are you doing? You're making God out to be a liar. That seems like a sin. I don't know. And his word is not in you. So, So what does that confess word mean? It seems to be the turning point. If you realize that you're darkness and you want to step into his light and life, and he's saying that to do that is is to confess your sin. Well, what does it mean to confess? Again, just from the movies, is confession something where you go into like a little room and there's a wall and there's a priest on the other side and he slides back the, the thing with the screen and you get down on the kneeler and you talk to him? Is that confession? Is confession Michael Scott walking in and just screaming out, I declare bankruptcy yeah like is that what it is like you just find groups of people and you say i'm a sinner and they have to like deal with that is that confession is confession scarlet letter hester Prynne? like you have to have like a big red letter stitched to you that lets everyone know your sin in the community is that is that confession well no (laughs) no no it's it's less than that and, and it's more than that now, we don't often talk about the Greek because it's usually not really a reason to do it. The, the New Testament was written originally in Greek. You have the Greek. You can learn Greek and go read it if you want to. Pastors are supposed to do that. And often I don't talk about the Greek because, you know, like the translation from the Greek to English is just what it says in the ESV. Like, you just, you're not going to get better. You're not really gaining that much information. It's just a good translation. But, but this word confesses, I think, is interesting if you look at the Greek because it helps to kind of hammer that point home. In Greek, the word for confess, the to confess is homologeo. It's, it's the to, to do a confession. But if, if you hear the word homo and logeo, you're really hearing two words that we kind of are familiar with. Logo, to, to say, or logos, which is the noun form, which is word. And then homo would be same. The word homogenous means that things are all the same. The word homophone means that two sounds are the same. The other one that you're thinking of, that also means same. Homo, same. And logos, word, is to say the same word, to affirm the same word that he's saying about you. That's all we mean by confess. It's not an elaborate process. He just says, you're a sinner. And you can either call him a liar and say that you're not, or you can confess. You can agree. Yeah. I'm in need. To become a Christian, that that, that moment when you realize that you're in the darkness, but you want the light. 
That's not a big ask. It's not really even an ask. It's a, an epiphany. It's an understanding. It's, it's an agreement with what God has said about you. But, but how? how? How does agreeing with God mean that you can somehow be cleansed from your unrighteousness? <coughs> Excuse me. Then he says in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is... <coughs> Gotta quit smoking. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does it mean that Jesus is the propitiation? means that he is the sacrificial substitute who will bring about a, a way for you to be forgiven. Sacrificial substitute. That's why we say propitiation instead of substitute, because we mean one who dies on behalf of. In the Old Testament, propitiation was achieved by killing these animals. And it was always symbolic. It was always pointing. In the New Testament, it's Jesus actually dying on our behalf. That's what happened on the cross. In 2006, for some reason, there was like three period piece magician movies thank you so much two of them weirdly starred hugh jackman and scarlett johansson so maybe they were the reason so many of them happened they were like really into magic or something but one of them was done by christopher nolan it was called the prestige i don't know if you want to see it or not i don't know that i've reviewed it enough to be able to say like oh definitely see it or don't see it or you know whatever i don't know about the content but there's a point, plot point in the movie, which is, how do they do this disappearing trick where there's a guy here, and then all of a sudden he's there? How is it possible? And there's the big reveal, spoiler alert, it was 2006, uh, spoiler alert, the big reveal is that the guy was an identical twin, and he never told anybody, they never told anybody they were twins. They like hid that, so the world just thought there was one person, and so when they did their magic act, hey, Bluey, and then one guy would go away, there's the other guy, they wear the same outfit, you think he transported well, then the plot thickens because something happens and, and the guy's sentenced to die. And though he's sentenced to die, his brother, who looks exactly the same, is able to step in and be hanged for him, to be hanged on his behalf. Now, that's a hoodwinking. You know, it's a charlatan's trick. If the judge knew that was happening, he'd go, well, stop then. We got to hang that guy. Like, he, he wouldn't allow it. But God in his righteousness does allow it. He does allow another to step in and be killed on your behalf, an innocent one, to become your propitiation. And he says, for the whole world, if anybody confesses in any time period, in any continent, in any culture, in any background, with any sin, the whole world, if you want to know him, this is how you do it. You go to Jesus and you find your life. That's what he's saying. And, and so, yeah, like then confessing your sin, something happens. You do start to change. Agreeing with God and receiving Christ is the change. But that change starts to work itself out in your life. Look at verses 3 and following. By this we know that we have come to know him, God, Jesus, if we keep his commands. Listen to how he said that. Not that we know him or that we become Christians by keeping his commands, but we know that we have known him. There is evidence that we have known him if we keep his commandments. 
Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. There's that double repetition again. You already said liar. Why do you say the truth is not in him? He says it both directions because he's helping you to see it fully. But whoever keeps Christ's word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. (laughs) He's saying he can forgive you. And if he forgives you, then that forgiveness becomes a relationship. A confession that he is the light and that he is the life is a confession that you want that light and that life. If you then go from there and live as though that is not the case, there's a point where you got to ask the question, did I really ever come to know him? You know, Christians engage in a lot of sin. And when it's repetitive sin, you might get these sort of excuses in your head for why it's okay to keep doing that sin. Well, do you understand what he's saying here? You don't earn your way into acceptance. That's that's not a possibility. But coming to know him, you will then reflect that knowledge. You'll show something of who he is. There's going to be an impact or an effect that takes place in you. My grandfather made furniture. It was his job for for 50, 60 years. He made these cherry furniture pieces that were really beautiful. And he had a lathe that he would turn all of the furniture legs on and the bedsteads and all this stuff that would create these beautiful shapes along the, the wood. It was be- beautiful process. And I always wanted to learn to use a lathe. Now I'm 38 and I've never tried. So I didn't want like real bad, but I thought it would be cool. And like, I've gone down YouTube rabbit holes about lathes or whatever. So, you know, back off, but I thought it would be cool to learn to do it. So I, I'm imagining a case here. Imagine two people that are hired on at the wood shop, and they're going to be trained on the lathe. And you got the one guy that, that shows up, and they say, okay, man, we're, you know, we're going to teach you about the lathe. And, and they start helping him learn the lathe, and you know, you, you're not very good at it. The stuff that you turn out has got tons of mistakes. It has to be redone. It has to be shown you again how to use the pattern, how to use the different gouges. You're going to mess up a lot. You're going to mess up even in wanting to work. Yeah, you show up and you're sitting around, but your breaks are getting longer because you kind of just lost your interest in it. But, but you jump back up and you, you get back into it. You know, you haven't really lo- gained a love of the lathe yet, but you realize that there's something there. And as you continue in it, you start to, to change. Well, that's one guy. Then you have another guy. Same thing. He's brought on. And while he puts it on the resume, and while he tells people that this is his job, he never goes. He never shows up. It's not like he makes mistakes. He never tries. Well, listen, he, he may tell people he's part of that company, but like at the company picnic, it's going to be awkward because nobody knows the guy. He's never been there. Now, this is terrifying, but that's exactly how Jesus pictures the end when he talks about people that'll come before him and say look at all this stuff we did and he'll say depart from me for i never knew you 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 can't earn salvation and when you go about the process of of being in the light and and trying to be with him and be like him you're going to screw that up real bad 
You're going to be a guy who's costing the company a lot of money because you're losing interest and you're injuring yourself and you're breaking the wood. I mean, you're not going to be a great employee, but if you're showing up, that's evidence that you're there, that you want to be there. If you're not, help me out. What are we doing here? No, no. Listen, if you're concerned that you're screwing up all the time, well, in Proverbs, it talks about how the righteous person falls seven times and then rises again. And that's talking about something different, but it's a good illustration of what Jesus talks about when he says, listen, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, he says this in Luke 17, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, you turn and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. What kind of friendship is that? What kind of relationship is that? Well, one guy's a bonehead, but, but there's something really beautiful about that love. Do you think that God, who commands that of you, wouldn't do that and more? That if you fail seven times in a day or 70 times seven times in a day and keep coming back to him and going, I'm sorry, that he's not going to say, I forgive you. This isn't about perfection, can't get there, but it is about, do you know him? And knowing him, do you obey him? No, we're, we're done, we're out of time, but... But you got to ask yourself that question. I don't, I don't care about labels. I don't care about your background. Do you know him? Does that show in your life? You say, I'm a Christian, but we look at this addictive behavior. You say, I'm a Christian, we look at this attitude. You say, I'm a Christian, well, we, we look at your commitment level. Your commitment doesn't make you a Christian or make you not a Christian. But if you know him, is there some, somewhere, evidence? You don't come to know him by doing good things. But if you have come to know him, you know that you've come to know him because obedience starts to take place. Listen, take these warnings seriously. And if you're new to Christianity, I, I want you to just understand there's so much more to be said here. And I, I don't know. I, I, if I could, I would preach much longer. But the way that sin impacts things means that you're not objective when you're thinking about this Jesus. Let me ask you to, to look at it again. Maybe think through it again. Ask yourself if this kind of light and life and love is exactly what you need. Let's pray. Lord, Lord God and Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that you would give us just a rare moment of honesty. I don't know how often we know that we're trying to lie to ourselves, but if you want to believe something, you can kind of make a way to believe it. So I just pray for a rare moment of honesty this morning. Your law is like a mirror where we can really see what we look like, not what we think we look like, but what we really look like. I pray this morning in the light of your law, you would imagine, help us to, to understand what that kind of darkness that John's talking about may be in our lives. And yet, Father, we don't want to stay there. <laughs> in the light of your law, we also see the light and life that you give us through Christ who came to fulfill the law on our behalf. Would you help someone this morning to confess that? To agree with you? To agree with you about their sin, but also to agree with you that the only way that sin's going to be covered is by Jesus and not by themselves? Maybe to confess their righteousness to you, Lord? pray that you do that and you'd make us into a people that reflect who you really are, bringing light and life 
to our lives, the lives of those that we love, and the lives of those that we interact with all week. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.